A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode and a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC, and I'm here with... This is Andy. This is David. This is Jan. And this is... (laughs) That's River Tam. She's filling in for Logan today, yes, who couldn't be Logan here. Logan has unfortunately uh, lost her voice, so she's not able to record with us. Uh, but, and we've been told, you know, she's with us in spirit because we'll be talking about a lot of the stuff that she wanted. I do want to give a shout out to Logan because the reason she lost her voice is she was at a fundraiser for the Girls Rock organization last night and was working with the kids and singing and talking really loud and she raised a ton of money for that organization so i think we need to give her a clap she's a really great advocate for girls and women she's amazing so we miss you logan yes we do do. hopefully you'll be be on the next episode so today we're talking about what's my line part one which is episode nine of season two and it was uh, directed by David Solomon and written by Howard Gordon and Marty Noxon. And Yay, this Marty. is a landmark because, yeah, it's the first time that Marty has turned up in the Buffyverse. And she yep. will lay her stake, you know, as it will, on the um, Buffyverse. I think, does she write, she writes up to season seven. Like, Oh, she's yeah, there she's, for, she's for there, yeah, pretty much the whole time. And I think she started on the show at the beginning of season two, and it took a few, you know, for her to write episodes. But um, yeah, according to her, yeah, her her commentary says she was on the sh- she was working on the show, but this was her first uh, script, mm. and she'll write the next episode by herself. Yes, uh, yeah, and David Solomon, this was his, I believe, his first time we see him as a director, and he follows through. Most of it, and according to Marty's commentary, he was actually in the post-production department uh, before he they promoted him to director, and then eventually he would just yeah. go on to be a director on the show quite frequently. Yeah. And I think he's he's one of the better ones, one of the better directors mm-hmm. on Buffy. So, and in yeah. ter- but in terms of co-writers, this was uh, co-written by Howard Gordon, and this is the only thing that he's done in the Buffy, <laughs> right, which is strange. And I, I have to be on. I have to be honest. I mean, I love Marty. Uh, but I think that it shows that What's My Line was written by a first-time writer in the Buffyverse and somebody who only did one episode. Huh. Yeah, and also, Howard Gordon was also listed as one of the consulting producers. I know he was, like, a producer of some sort. Because I saw his name on the credits later, and I was like, who is yeah. this guy? Yeah, <laughs> Marty says he was on the show for about half a season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, I See, I think it's a... I like the way this is written. And we can talk about that a little bit more as we get into it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not that I dislike these episodes. It's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I like in them. But, I mean, maybe it's because this is the first two-parter. And we'll just, I think, three episodes away from this, we'll get, like, the quintessential Buffy two-parter. Right, right. 
right. I just I remember when these came out, they're really liking them, and uh, they've got sort of like they're. I think it hits that sweet spot of like I want to watch some Buffy, but I don't want to be super sad right now. Let me throw yeah. on what's my line part one and two. I think there's some really, and I think Marty really gets the voices of these characters and stays pretty consistent with their characterization throughout her run on Buffy. So yeah, well, I mean, sh- she really forms them. If it if it's not Joss who forms them, then it's Marty. She is yeah. absolutely in the number two spot. And yeah. actually, I mean, the one thing I realized when watching this episode is like, wow, this episode really kind of sets peak Buffy. Like, I mean, we've talked mm-hmm. all season about, oh, school hard, this kind of establishes this. But what's my line is where it's like, okay, this is this is season two really uh, taking shape because we get the establishment of several relationships that will become iconic for the Buffyverse. And uh, the whole Slayer lore is turned on its head and will never be the same, so... Yeah. yeah, and and yeah. looking slightly ahead, one one gets the impression that maybe they they kind of said, okay, we're going to be give you this really momentous thing, but you're going to pay for it right afterwards because yeah. the next two episodes are Ted and Bad Eggs. <laughs> I like Ted, and we'll talk about that um, in a few weeks when we get there. But you know, yeah, I was going to say I like Ted too. Um, you know, but we'll again we'll talk again, about we'll that get there. in the future. Um, but. Bad eggs, should, not so much. Oh god, we should eggs. definitely make right. sure to have Logan in on the, the the Ted episode because I know she has some very strong feelings about it. Yeah, we'll so. definitely make sure we do that. Um, and you can disagree with me then, David. Oh no, I, you know I actually don't dislike Ted that much, but it's it feels like such a drop from this. Hmm. I think it just suffers by comparison. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this okay. was, I mean, this was their, these two episodes were their November sweeps. Yeah. So, like, the two-parter yeah. with the November sweeps, and I think, you know, they go on hiatus pretty quickly after this, because this is, like, November. Mm-hmm. Right, and back in those days, especially, you actually had, like, sweeps and, and television seasons that were very important in terms of bringing in audience and everything else, which you don't really get now, because we've gone to more of like a, oh, wait, the seasons never really stop. So yeah. in those, you know, so for the past, the way the things were, that's when you got like your big punches in November and then in February again. And I think yeah. we'll get big punches again in February. Right, exactly. Because that's what they did at Sweeps Month. Mm-hmm. I mean, not our February, because it's not no, February. February. Right. Their February. <laughs> the pet. I'm speaking from the future. And, <laughs> and we know that in the February of 1998, Eight. they will yeah. be February. <laughs> that sentence made no sense at all. But Okay, well, let's, uh, at the start of this episode, like, one of the first things that jumped out at me is that there is absolutely no In Every Generation opening. Oh, uh, wow, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually missed that. But you're right. Oh, that... I don't think it's the first time that it's happened, uh, but it's the first time I noticed it happening. Where, because, I mean, it's... By the end of well, the season, Well, it's appropriate it's here. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I was going to say, I think also just because there's so much packed into it, they may have wanted to cut it just for yeah. time. Yeah. No, I mean, we start directly with the career fair aptitude test, which I have so much problems with all of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I know that they're just trying to make it interesting for the audience, but taking tests in the lounge area while talking to each other, I know it's just a fucking aptitude test, but what? 
No, 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 no. Exactly. Like, I mean, we did this kind of shit when I was in school, and, like, they would, like, I don't want to say preemptive, but they would preempt a class, basically. Yeah. Uh, and be like, okay, everybody is going to take this test, and then we're going to give them to the guidance counselors who are going to want to kill themselves. Yeah, I remember, I don't even remember taking a test, but I do remember being dragged into my guidance counselor's office for a private one-on-one for him to tell me what he thought I should do with the rest of my life and what schools I should or shouldn't go to and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it was not in the middle of our cafeteria or our lounge with everybody yakking at each other. Yeah, I mean, if they had wanted to keep the lines, uh, they could have had it set immediately after the test where, you know, they're all coming out and they're like, like, what the hell was up with that test? And it's like, did you come down on the side of shrubs? And it's like, I went to shrubs. You know, and the, those personality and aptitude tests have so, not specifically shrubs, they have so much stuff about liking flowers. <laughs> really? Like, yes. <laughs> like, I last time I took one, because I had a neuropsych evaluation for some specific issues, I've been having, and like, seriously, that thing has three questions about flowers and florists. Would you like to be a florist? To which I say absolutely no, because my parents are florists, and I know I'm bad at being a florist. So, um, so. The, the one thing this scene has given me is that line, that's between you and your God. Mm-hmm. Because anyone who knows me will know that every time somebody asks me that kind of question, I will, I will bring out that. I will bring out that that's between you and your God. And it I've heard you do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I That's because I do it all the time. It confuses the fuck out of my dad. He just doesn't get it. <laughs> but it, it's just like the best response for that sort of question. Yeah, I mean, the, it being in the lounge is uh, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it's clearly a very crappy aptitude test. Yeah. Besides anything else. <laughs> Yeah. Also, the posting of the results on, like, the wall, mm-hmm. like, you would get your test results. Oh, like, yeah. What? Like I said, I remember having to go and sit down with my guidance counselor and having this very serious conversation about what he thought I should do with the rest of my life, which was nothing to do with who I was or what I wound up doing or even what school I went to, because this is how much they knew me. But, yeah, they would not post, like, oh, you're going to be a, you know, you're going to be a florist and you're going to be a... a, a jail guy and you're gonna be in law enforcement yeah. what well i mean like the thing that i remember from those tests is that they never like it was never just like one hard answer because there's never one hard answer with that kind of test you would sit down with your guidance counselor and your guidance counselor would give you like several options of like these are things that you might want to explore and then you might go to the booth for that i mean there's it's not like you know you're fucking law enforcement you're just gonna go here so posting it like t- actual test yeah. results is like really weird and also what's weird is that they imply that the career fair is optional right because Buffy has to do it, because Snyder has told her to do it. But it seems like every, like if it's optional, why the fuck is Xander doing it? Right. Oh. On that end, I mean, like, why is Oz doing it? You know, Mr. I have no ambition and I just do whatever I do because I do it. He would what? never do something like that. Does, does, does Oz actually take the test? They never actually say that Oz took the test. He was uh, scouted by the computer company, but the test was irrelevant for them. Right. That's true. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I, I think he was sort of like, hello, I'm a guy in a suit and you should come this way. We have an opportunity for you. Yeah, okay. I don't, yeah, I don't know if Oz actually took the test. Yeah. Now, can we talk about the fact that Xander as a prison guard is 
that test is not accurate. No, not even close. <laughs> like, that's not even close to something that Xander would be good at at all. Right, I mean, like, it might have been, like, insulting, but for me it's like, well, they would tell him to be, like, a, a stock boy at, you know, Target. Or, you know, working behind the deli counter or something like that, where it's just kind of, you know, doing manual labor and not having to think kind of thing as compared to prison guard? Really? That means he should have been somebody in authority that's kind of like a bully, and that's... That's not, that's not who Xander, Xander is. I mean, Xander can be a bully in some ways, but not in that way. He's not. A, yeah, no. He's not authoritarian at all. Honestly, with the number of construction workers I know, and I know quite a few, because actually my brother runs a construction company. They actually really nail, put, uh, ham- hammered the nail on the head when it came to Xander's career. Oh, but yeah. Um, I think that's a great yeah. career for him. Carpentry is perfect for Xander. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had a cousin who was similar to him, and I mean, he wound up going into um, neon signs and stuff like that, but it's it's a similar vocation in terms of you're working with your hands, you're not like, you know, it's, it's a totally different thing, which is a Xander thing, too. Well, and, so, and, yeah. and by that point, and we'll talk about it when we get there, Xander has learned so much from Buffy and Giles about how to, like, m- looking at their leadership, you know, I think especially Giles how to deal with people, how to manage people in like a very constructive way. And so he, you know, he gets promoted to foreman and he's doing really well. And I mean, he's the one that actually goes somewhere with his career. Yeah. Yeah. Xander's career path is very realistic mm-hmm. from what I know of yeah. working in construction. Nobody I know who works in construction really wanted to go working into construction. They just took the job as a way to make some extra money and they thought it would be an easy thing to do. And then they just, they get good at it. And yeah. like, they realize that they have like an aptitude for mm-hmm. it. And eventually they will get to the point where they're foreman or they will start their own company or whatever. And yeah, actually uh, one of uh, my friends who was in construction just got back from Nepal. He was uh, building houses for Habitats for Humanity. So oh, neat. I want to shout out to Kyle there. Hi, Kyle. I don't know if he listens, but... You know, I, I mean, I actually knew somebody who was in construction who liked it, I mean, but he wound up going into, like, construction and architecture, so they wound up doing, you know, like, putting in roofs or putting in extra rooms. In fact, they did the extra room on our house, but it was something that this guy liked to do, and he just kind of found a way to, to make money from it and to start a business, and he's very yeah. successful, so... Yeah, but prison guard, like, really? Yeah, so prison guard, I'm like, that That would be the worst job ever for... To get back yeah. to the episode, be the worst oh, job yeah, ever yeah. for Xander. But but so. one thing about construction, just weird random fact, Tom Baker was working on a construction site when he was cast as the doctor. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Apparently, Hollywood likes construction workers cause, and carpenters, because, you know, Harrison Ford. That's so. true. I also, I don't understand the whole thing with willow in this i mean like why doesn't she get her results i mean if the whole like computer thing is completely separate why don't she get why doesn't she get her results and also have that visit it just oh yeah there's so many problems with this whole career fair thing there is yes it's like somebody came up with a good let's have a career fair and they don't actually know what the hell they're doing and they kind of just made up stuff we've come gone through this up against this problem so many times already like I'm sorry, do they not understand how high school works? Like, we have said this multiple times. They obviously don't remember how high school works. Oh, I mean, we'll come up against, like, critical research failure in about two seconds once we yeah. get through solo with those fucking tarot cards. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's actually one of the things, like, when, you know, we talk about, like, how some of us think that, you know, this isn't that great a 
well written an episode. I think it's like there's a lot to like about the writing writing, but structurally it just like so much of this episode makes no sense. Yeah, no, I guess I agree with that. I mean, like even more than usual. Like there's like way of, there's just a huge number of just weird logic gaps. <laughs> Yeah, I think I meant when I said I really like the writing, I like the dialogue, and I think the dialogue, mm-hmm. I think these two episodes, they whip along, they have a really good pacing, like, so it's easy just on a, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm going to throw this on, watch, to just, like, really like them, um, because they do, they have a really great zippy dialogue, they move along, but yeah, some of the the plotting and the structure is like, what? I wonder if they almost did not have enough plot for two episodes. I mean, like I said, this is the first two-parter that they did. And there's a lot of stuff that kind of goes on for a while. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you're only here because you need padding. But do you know what? Uh, If it was one-parter, we wouldn't have gotten all of those wonderful scenes with Will and Oz. So just don't listen to me. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of a... The same thing happens with Doctor Who two-parters sometimes. You mean all the time? All the time. We we ran short. We need to throw in another scene that makes absolutely no sense. Here, have Or one. sometimes when you have the expanded time, you do get these smaller character-driven scenes. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of a plus and a minus. And I love the little character-driven, like, let's hang out, let's talk kind of scenes. Sometimes oh, more yeah. the big plotty stuff. So I think I'm willing to forgive that a little bit more. Well, one of the things one of the things Marty Noxon mentions in her commentary is that what she sees as like one of the things that sets Buffy apart from a lot of other supernatural action shows is that Buffy is very much a character drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it is very character driven and 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 I think she's absolutely right. And I think that comes across very well in the, these two episodes. It's just that the actual plotting a little yeah, well, the, I think even the plotting the plotting is okay but the, if you start to look at the actual logic behind the plot right. is when it all goes to hell no, that's what like, I mean yeah. this makes no sense and that makes yeah there's like way too many like logic holes but if you kind of say okay well it's Buffyverse we're just going to ignore it the actual for me the story is actually a lot of fun and it kind of keeps going and it's got really good momentum and the character driven stuff is phenomenal so yeah. right yeah like, that's this, what, this, yeah the strength here is the character stuff yeah yeah yeah, this is a Saturday afternoon. I kind of maybe want to paint my nails or something series of episodes. Because, again, I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, I'm crying at the end yeah. of these episodes. I'm sort of mm-hmm. like, that was really fun. You get Willow and Oz. You get Xander and Cordy. So, for me, it's sort of one of those. At the time, I thought this episode was amazing. So, yeah, but it was at the time. So, can we talk a little about as we're going just like through chronologically i gotta give props to the costume designers because they do a lot of subtle stuff with drusilla yeah and i think i've mentioned this before she's been besides her first appearance in white and fragility and stuff and we're gonna we see that again in this this scene Mm. you know with her in the very and now and you know and by the end of the next episode which we'll talk about when we get there she's gonna take on the black and never yeah. and not go back yeah. to the white. So I, I just thought it was a really like subtle and good choice by the by the costumers. I also thought it was interesting that Willow especially is like so frumpy in this, despite everything. I mean, she's like wearing the, the baggy overalls, etc. Where Buffy is like 
Buffy kind of goes from being kind of chic to, again, we'll talk in the next episode, but, um, you know, she's kind of frumpy in the next episode. So I just thought, like, the contrast between people. Only is... Allison Hannigan can pull off those overalls. And I love me a good pair of overalls. I rocked, <laughs> I rocked the overalls, like, in the 90s. But, like, you got those, like, yeah. dickies and you washed them, like, a whole bunch. And they were super baggy. Like, Buffy wears a pair of overalls in um, School Hard that, like, yeah. I adore. These are not good overalls. They're very willow. So yeah. that's, they're very willow. And Allie pulls them off because she's Allie. Well, it's Allie as willow is pulling them off. But yeah, oh my God, they're hideous. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a big overalls fan, I think, because I grew up in the 70s. And I remember like, it was like a very hippie thing of like overalls, especially the denim ones. And I wore them to death. And now I hate them. I just think they're like so like... Unattractive on 99% of the population, but that's... I was adorable in them, just FYI. Uh, I was uh, a dork too, but I... I No, no, I said I was adorable in them. I I rocked those overalls. I was was a dork in everything. So on the Drew and Spike scenes, we are on that one now. Uh, I have never fucking understood, like, what is actually wrong with Drusilla. Like, they they kind of give, like, this, you know, idiot mob kind of like that's supposed to explain it and i'm like she's a vampire like i don't care what i'm not like is is it a spell or something no i mean i know the comics later kind of they they do explain it in the comics but it's a fucking retcon and it i don't think yeah. it really explains very well like what happens my my big problem is that it's just so inconsistent mm-hmm. it's like there are times when she seems fine i mean you know not strong but but getting around fine and then there are times when she's just like falling over and and i notice in in these episodes she seems bruised often yeah maybe she has mystical fibromyalgia where some days (laughs) you're totally fine and you're running around you're having a great day and like two days later you're like i can't walk i'm gonna call it mystical fibromyalgia (laughs) maybe but i mean because that's that was the thing that really that made me go it's like what is this I wrote it off as vampire consumption because it just like kind of goes with her time period and like the frail thing and the swoony thing. But like, how do vampires get consumption? I don't know. But yeah, I was like, it was bugging me because it was like, why do we never hear what is wrong with her? I mean, we know she's like crazy because Angelus drove her insane, which is fine. Mentally, oh yeah. But why is she like so weak and frail one moment and then the next minute she's just fine and vampire fire my myalgia. How do you yeah. pick this up from a mob? Right, and so, like, Marty Noxon in her commentary, she's like, oh, Drusilla's mystical illness. It's a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She literally just admits it's a MacGuffin. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I accept that MacGuffins happen. It just drives me crazy when they do, because from, I always like I know, explanations for yeah. things. Um, and they do explain it in the comics that uh, Spike and Drew were driven down... Uh, driven down by a mob. Spike nearly gets staked, and Drusilla actually gets kidnapped, so she is not actually injured by the mob. She's just taken by one, and she's tortured by an Inquisitor, Mm. which they introduced Inquisitors in, uh, I believe, in Angel, actually. Uh, Right, One comes in during the Holtz arc. Uh, But Mm. it still doesn't really adequately explain why this Inquisitor was able to injure Drusilla so badly that she is still weak because i mean like later god then the next episode angel gets tortured and he ends up being fine like by the next episode so 
just fuck everything. Yeah, I, I take I take issue with uh, Marty Noxon's uh, characterization of the MacGuffin because that's not yeah. really what a MacGuffin there, is. You are correct. That is this, not this is this is a plot contrivance, not a MacGuffin. That's yeah. true. And also, even if you have a plot contrivance, you can actually give some logic mm-hmm. or backstory oh, that yeah. makes sense and it's consistent for that just so you say, okay, well, yeah, well, we need to make her sick. Okay, we're going to say it's vampire consumption or dragon pox or right. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and this is what this is why she is the way she is and this is what happened. Okay, fine. And go. You, yeah. As a writer, it does. It drives me crazy. And it's like, but what is this? Why? Yeah. I don't you know. know if I blame Marty because this is something that has been baked into the Drusilla character. It has been. Oh, first time oh she's yeah, been no. Yeah. This is entirely a Joss thing. Oh, no, I'm only blaming her for using the term MacGuffin. Right. In the comment, right, right, because it's not a MacGuffin. It oh, is, okay. as Joss says in one of his commentaries, applied phlebotanum. Yes. That's yes. what they called it, was their phlebotanum. Um, yes. So, Like I had mentioned earlier in terms of, you know, research failure, um, I mean, it's not research failure, but it's research I don't care with uh, Drusilla's tarot cards. It feels like they kind of, at least the props person kind of tried because they're very obviously influenced by the Rider Waite deck. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually love them. and Oh, they're and gorgeous. T- and, and today's day of, like, merchandising, you know they would have sold, like, the official, you know, Drusilla, blah, blah, blah. They actually cards. tried to do a Buffy the Vampire Slayer tarot deck, and I've seen concept art from it. They the What they ran into was a uh, issue with people's likenesses. Some people uh, didn't okay. want to give their likenesses, and I, you can, you can, mm. listeners and you guys, you can Google it. There, there was actually really, and it wasn't Drusilla's deck because that wouldn't have been a licensing thing. It was actually tarot with the characters from Buffy. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see Drusilla's, and I, and I agree with you because I picked up immediately that they were very Rider weight, and I liked it, and I liked that they that actually got tied into the story in terms of the cult guys and blah blah blah. Yeah, so. it, but I mean it. It really does feel kind of half-assed on it because, I mean, they are very influenced by the Rider Waite deck, and she does do kind of a Celtic cross spread. So somebody at least did like some cursory, like at, at least read the first page in a How to Do Tarot card. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. um, well, as as Marty as Marty points out, it's it's not a standard tarot deck. So oh no, it's not. Because so I I kind of cut them some slack with yeah. anything, any inaccuracies, because it's it's just to begin with, not a standard tarot deck. So, yeah. right. all so bets whatever Drusilla is doing, we can write that off as it's some vampire thing, and who cares? Yeah, so. well, I mostly just uh, wanted to mention that, because I did think those cards were gorgeous. They are yeah. gorgeous. The, the production designers did a great job with the cards that were described in the script. Yeah. Like, I have the script somewhere, and, they, and she describes what she wants from the cards, and the production designers did a great job, like, they're beautiful. Still trying to figure out why Patrice was represented by like a leopard. I think that was their fake out because they wanted that to represent, you know, it was the fake out that it was going to be Kendra. You think it's Kendra oh. at first. Um, and of course, black people have to be, you know, represented by mm, furious beasts. Yeah, I suppose it could be worse. They could have represented her by a panther. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like I I, that, I don't mean that. That was sarcasm voice, by the way. You know, the like because of course. So yeah. yeah. I also love in the scene Dalton. Dalton is my oh, one of my favorite. My I, I love Dalton. Yeah, he's vampire Dalton. Wesley. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's total vampire Wesley. Although I find I I, I, I the first time I noticed this, it was 
you know, Spike says, isn't that what transcribers do? And Dalton's like, uh, not real. And then, of course, Spike just grabs him and gives him the riot act. But it Make occurs, it a language. It occurs to me, it's like, if what Dalton is is a transcriber, he, is the, wrong, a translator. he <laughs> is the wrong person for this job. Yeah. <laughs> I think Spike just went, you have glasses and look nerdy. Do my yeah, bidding. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And that, that fits in Spike's character, not inconsistently. He's like, you're nerdy. You, do right, my, right. do do smart things. I'm going to go in. <laughs> Details like, actually, are not Spike's strong point. Details are not. Uh, Dalton as, like, the vampire Wesley. I don't mind the idea of Dalton as a watcher who got turned into a vampire. Oh, I love that. That's I a like great that. head cannon. That's lovely. Yeah, because, I mean, you got to figure, like, the watchers are doing stuff involving, like, vampires. And mm-hmm. Some of them have got to get turned into vampires. Yeah. Because it's not like they have the protections of being the Slayer. Well, and even so. Slayers, I know, have been turned into vampires. If you look at sort of the extended university stuff, mm. you know, Slayers then, that are vampires. Then the, then the my, my immediate question is then what? how do you get to Sunnydale? Uh, you know, like people, fl- because the Hellmouth calls them. Hmm. Okay. Maybe he's a holdover from the Master. Who's very much into the ritualistic stuff and the research and the, like, what does this all mean? And he was like, I'm just headcanning it now. Like, a holdover from the master that didn't get Mm. killed by Spike because he looked like he was nerdy and useful. Yeah, because, I mean, like, Spike did take over the um, Order of Aurelius. So, I mean, you assume that there would be a couple of them still left. I buy it. All right. I buy it. Okay. I'm not going to quibble on that one. Well, I'll, 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 I, I think I probably have plenty to quibble with later on. So see, I, there you yeah, go. I'm happy to let quibbles. that one go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. also the the but just jumping ahead a little bit, but the entire what are they doing with this stuff and how do they translate this thing and again logic is goes completely out the window or maybe I'm just real dumb when it comes to what Spike was trying to do with this stuff in the cross, but we'll go ahead on that. Yeah, if, if nobody has anything else to say on the Spike and Drusilla scene, we can move on to the Buffy and Angel scene. No, oh, mm-hmm. Angel. I'm going to break into Buffy's room. What a gentleman. I know! And he knows about Career Week because he lurks. Yeah, that's not yeah. stalkerish that's a, You are in my brain. It's a great line, but it's creepy. It is creepy. The whole thing is creepy. And, and this ties in with, again, like, with the Twilight thing back in the day. And people always like, oh, well, you know, Buffy never did this. And, you know, Edward was a creeper. And I'm like, no. Sp- look at Angel. He's as much as a creeper, if not more so, than Edward Cullen. And be quiet. So, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, no, I mean, like, I'm not a fan of Twilight. I have read two of the Twilight books. And they were fucking terrible. They're terrible. And I read them just so that I knew they were terrible. I read three and a half, but yeah, yeah. And, but I had friends who really loved them, and it was like if they liked them, that's fine. But it's just like yeah. if you remember, like you know, there was this whole fandom thing back when they were really, really hot. Yeah, and like people who hated them were always throwing up at Buffy as like the pinnacle of the opposite of Twilight, and it's like no, you know, this is really creepy. For as much as I hate Twilight, yeah, Angel is creepy in Buffy's room, and Spike gets even creepier in Buffy's room because yep. if you remember he sniffs her shirts. Yeah. Yeah, see, but the thing between the difference between Spike and Angel, in my mind, is that we're supposed to see Angel as this romantic hero and really good for Buffy at this point. Yeah. At this point in the narrative. Whereas Spike, first of all, he doesn't have a soul. Second of all, he's creeper. But he's a creeper in a different way. Like he's an outright 
We're supposed to think this is romantic that Angel knows all this shit because he lurks. We're never meant to think that Spike sniffing Buffy's underwear is romantic. I don't think. But we'll get there. He doesn't sniff her underwear. He sniffs her shirt. There's a difference. I mean, Spike is very upfront about being an asshole. That's true. True. I mean, that's... They're just they're just very different characters. Yeah. Angel has this this romantic. Is it like a shell. gothic hero? It's a gothic hero trope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he creeps in her room. He lurks for career week, and also like Buffy calls him her cradle robbing creature of the night boyfriend. So it's yeah. like I know you think yeah. it's cute, but it's kind of true. Oh, it's absolutely true. It's. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, you know, we we we've talked before about how uh, I don't think any of us are 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 bangle people, and and like I, you know, I don't really ship. So for me, it was like, eh, whatever. This is the first. Ep- these are the first episodes where I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm getting why people really don't like bangle. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't, I don't want to shit on shippers though. Like, I certainly don't want to ship on people that ship something because I certainly have problematic ships, Buffy and Spike. Mm. For sure. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I don't want to, like, make it seem like we are going to shit on that all the time. Oh, no. Because I I'm just not, don't want to be saying, that person. Yeah, but, I'm certainly not saying I'm, I'm, I'm shitting on it. It's just, like, I un- I understand why the people who don't mm. like that ship don't like that ship. <laughs> and see, on the opposite, I can see why people who do like that ship love that ship. Absolutely. It's not... But it's not for me, but I see what they're trying to do with it in the show. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, yeah, but this is like really creepy. But, you know, I think part of it is also that mores have changed even in 20 years. Yeah. So things like that were like more acceptable. I mean, they were more acceptable, let's say, 40, 50 years ago. But when I was a teenager, that would have been like perfectly normal. I wouldn't have been like, why the hell is he hanging out in a room and, you know, like, basically going past boundaries he shouldn't yeah but now we look at it and it's very different it's like no this is not something you should be doing and this is not something we should be encouraging even if he's a vampire and keep in mind the people not all of them because shippers come in all age ranges and whatever but we're now all people over the age of 30 so looking at this is like i would hate for the my the children i know that are in high school that are you know i have friends with kids for someone to do this kind of stuff, I'd be like, red flag, red flag, red flag. But as I was watching it in 1990, this is still 1997, I was, I like, I didn't, like, I just wasn't thinking about it, I guess. Oh, so, I like, totally know what you mean. Yeah, we're all yeah. a bunch of adults going, oh, teenagers, protect them. Teenage yeah, girls, protect well, them at all costs. I was going to say, when I was growing up, I mean, I was reading Harlequin romances and stuff, and there was that whole, like, rapist as, like, the protagonist romantic hero trope. That, you know, at the time I didn't even think about it. It was in, it was in even like science fiction or fantasy, like Anne McCaffrey stuff. And you never thought like, this is a bad thing. It was like, oh, it's so romantic. They're so carried away. And like, now you're like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I I mean, this isn't, this certainly isn't the first time we've, we've watched an episode and go and gone just, oh yeah, this is much more problematic than I remember. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, at VC Andrews novels where everybody's like, crack that we passed around from mid school on like i don't know if anybody have read any of those like the i didn't i, I have friends who were obsessed flowers with in the so attic and but like we yeah. we passed them around like they were porn like secretly reading them because we knew our moms and dads would be like what are you reading those things are like total trash so i get it now one thing i will say about the scene that i do like is at least they're having a conversation about things that are interesting 
to Buffy and about Thank their you. emotional lives and their feelings, which is why having a two-parter works because you can... Because we're always complaining about, like, what do they do? They go fight things. Everybody's brooding. Angel comes and says, you're in danger. They actually sit down and have a conversation. They do have yeah. a conversation, but I actually have a real problem with this conversation because it proves that writers are way older than the characters that they're writing. Yeah. Because Buffy was born in 1980, four years after Dorothy Hamill had won her gold medal. True. And <laughs> Buffy would not hey, even be old. Do- what? Do not diss Dorothy Hamill. I am not dissing Dorothy Hamill. No, she's I'm... dissing the, the logic and the, the uh, uh, anachronism. Yeah, That's like, I mean... The anachronism of Dorothy Hamill and, you know, it should have been sort of like Christy Yamaguchi or Yeah, uh, certainly people did have the Dorothy Hamill haircut, but Buffy right. would have, like, uh, by the time... They had the Dorothy was... Hamill haircut when I was in high school and, like, early college. So, yeah, yeah, by the time Buffy was old enough to actually, like state to Joyce that she wanted this haircut it would have been like 10 years after that was actually a thing Um, because I mean like she was a headliner in the ice capades but I don't even think like uh, Buffy would be old enough to remember that because she was uh, Dorothy Hamill was not a headliner in the ice capades uh, like when Buffy was old enough to remember, like she would have been done by like 1983 or 84 or something. So, so I mean, like, I, I don't know. I mean, if, if Buffy was a serious skater, it's possible she could have been obsessed with Dorothy Hamill. It's because I, I don't think there is, there's, I, I think in that period, there isn't another major figure skater. It is possible, but I mean, this is something that does come up a lot in this show, where they will make the characters make a reference mm-hmm. to something well, yes. that is like way because like, it's something that they were interested in when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little biased here because I, I was, I was a skater, so I, I was, I was obsessed with Dorothy. I had a huge crush on Dorothy Hamill. Yeah, but you're 20 years or 15 years older than she is, so. Yes, but. But Dorothy Hamill is the best. Okay, so yeah, it would have been someone like Christy Yamaguchi because she just went, well, who was the next one after? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I did right. watch a lot of figure skating when I was Buffy's age. I, I was pretty obsessed. But now, this is also the first appearance of Mr. Gordo. Yeah. Yes. I love right. Mr. Gordo. Who didn't, I believe that they actually came out with a Mr. Gordo. They did come right. out with a Mr. Gordo. I really wanted him. Um, there was this whole website, and I can't find it anymore. I'd have to go to Wayback Machine. That was all short fan fiction from Mr. Gordo's perspective. Oh, God, I remember oh, I that. It. And some of it was heartbreaking because he was at the bottom of the Hellmouth reflecting on missing Buffy. And some of it was oh. just, like, really funny and sort of Stuff that happened in Buffy's room from the perspective of Mr. Gordo, the stuffed pig. But some of them were really incredibly well-written and heartbreaking with him stuck at the bottom of the hellmouth. Oh. But I love Mr. Gordo, and I do. I, I, want, I want a Mr. Gordo. Mm. Aw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Gordo. I have a little squishy stress pig that I have named Mr. Gordo. Oh. He was, like, for a free gift with something at the bank. You yeah. know, like, it was, like, it has, like... Wells Fargo written on the side, but it's like a stress ball shaped like a pig, and his name is Mr. Gordo, and he sits next to my stuffed seal, who we named Sealy Booth. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a dork. Nice to meet you. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm a big fan of Mr. Gordo. Who who isn't? 
Well, yeah, I mean, he's a stuffed pig. Like, Even like, Angel's at, a fan of Mr. Gordo. Yeah. Everybody's a fan of Mr. Gordo. And they bring him up several times. Yeah. You know, he's a recurring... Mr. Pointy and Mr. Gordo are their recurring whatever. Yeah. Mr. Pointy. <clears throat> so, um, Spike hiring the Order of Taraka, I think, is mm-hmm. a very interesting move for Spike. Uh, first of all, it shows how incredibly frustrated Spike yeah. is on everything Buffy. But yep. also, it kind of it kind of made it kind of sets Spike in an interesting light because the entire reason Spike came to town is to kill another Slayer so that he could uh, gain some more you know street cred because he likes killing Slayers. But he's already just you know like half not even half a season into it been all decided okay do you know what this slayer is too tough i gotta hire somebody to do it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think part of it is buffy's really tough but also as we get into when we i think it's in season five that we see the flashback to season three if that makes any sense yeah. of drusilla talking about how spike can't kill buffy mm-hmm. and saying that and saying that spike can't kill buffy because of how he feels about her Hmm. So, so I almost feel like Spike hiring the Order of Taraka is, you know, a, a way to get around the fact that there's like the psychological block in him actually going full strength against Buffy. Oh yeah, I mean, Drusilla knew way before Spike did. Yes. That, yeah. 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 For sure. Well, she knows things. Yeah, without that retrospective thing, I mean, I think also in this episode... We're 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 coming very closely onto the the uh, the ritual to uh, reinvigorate Drusilla. Yeah, and I think he's more concerned with that, and is more worried that Buffy is just going to get in the way. And at this yeah. point, he's just like, I just need to get Buffy out of the way, out of the picture. <laughs> that makes and, a lot of sense. David. And do this. So, like, so on, there there are there is actually like a practical explanation mm-hmm. for this here that we don't need that later quasi-retcon. Well, to... I, you know, I, I'm always bringing it into, you oh, know, yeah. what, no, no, the, no, whole, I mean, the yeah. whole scope of the Buffyverse. I do, do want to add, like, okay, we do find out in this episode, do we find out in this episode or the next one that they need Angel? Uh, yeah, it's, it's this one. The next, is it this one? It's the next one. one. It's the next one. Okay, next one. Um, yeah. okay in the next one. We find out they they need Angel. Did they know that? Bef- they did not know that beforehand. Um, and I don't... The book that they stole was obviously Giles's. Um, yeah. So it seems like a lot of the stuff for Drusilla's Cure just, you know, happened. To, like, it, it wasn't, you know, like we have to go to Sunnydale to get it. It just, you know, circumstances have brought brought him there so i don't know if like did spike was did they specifically come to the hellmouth to cure drusilla like i think so is the the hellmouth like a spa for evil i don't it's spike he doesn't have great decision making and planning skills he was just like maybe we'll find something here and blah blah i'm gonna kill another slayer that's about as much forethought as spike at this point in his character development thinks about anything I don't know. That's where I sort of am staying on Spike at this point. 
I think yeah. even in at the end of his development, that's as far as he really thinks anyway. It's yeah, like, no, I, I mean, bored. he's sort of a, a, a vampire of action. He's and a doer, not a thinker. He's a doer, yeah. not a thinker. I mean, which is not to say Spike's not an intelligent mm-hmm. being. He's, he's a smart dude, but mm-hmm. he's like, all right, I'm going to do this thing because this is the thing I want to do right now. So, so yeah. I don't know. That's my explanation on why they're there. Spike's like, this is a good idea. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> I get to run over the Sunnydale sign. I get to run that's, over the Sunnydale sign and yeah. be a badass. So, fuck yeah. 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 Like, I think that's sort of Spike's whole internal monologue on that. Yeah. I could be wrong. I mean, I, I, I have to say, like, if we're talking about you know, the book and the rituals from the book, I, I've got all kinds of problems with this whole book thing. <laughs> Uh, and I'm not sure if they all rise up in this episode or the next episode, but there's definitely stuff where I'm just like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier. That just like the logic holes on this whole thing are just yeah, like, made I, my brain hurt. I mean, like, first of all, like like the whole thing, which will which comes up almost immediately after what we're talking about anyway, is the you know getting the Dulac cross and the cross. I mean, like if you look at the cross, there are no symbols on it. Yeah. Right. There's like, right. Wh- how does it work as a decoder ring? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 no I, I, yeah. it's not like we see them wave it over and it magically does something. It's it's supposedly a key in a cryptography It's on the back. Sense. We never see the back. It's on the back. They're veering into Dar- Dan Brown territory here without knowing anything. I mean, like, as much as Dan Brown is not my favorite writer, mm-hmm. when it comes to, like, a lot of the things of, like, cryptology and cryptography. Right. Um, puzzle solving and whatever. Right. Um, yeah, he's really, really good at that. At least he knows his research. And I was like, yeah, why? What does this cross do again? Yeah. It's like, it's a cross. That's you a put MacGuffin. It on the book and what? Yeah. No, <laughs> is that it? That's an actual no MacGuffin, sense. right? Yeah. Because no, it's an. No, that's no? not MacGuffin. That's. That's bad, bad writing. Okay. Bad or bad production design. All well, right, all right, the, all right. See, typically, so like the, the, the term MacGuffin stems from Hitchcock. Right. And, right. And it's basically the, the way Hitchcock described it was that it's something that is incredibly important to right. the characters, but not actually important. Actually to the important. Story. The, like, well, like the Maltese Falcon, Falcon is a MacGuffin. The the Maltese Falcon, the, the actual Falcon statue. Is, could yeah. be a MacGuffin. Is a MacGuffin. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the example that uh, I think Hitchcock used and that I always think of is in Hitchcock's Notorious. The plot is about this, like, you know, Nazi ring trying to smuggle uranium or something. And, like, the uranium gets talked about by the characters, and it's all about the uranium. But, like, no one cares about the uranium. It's all about the relationship between Cary Grant and Ingrid. And Burke. it's amazing that it's one of my, that's probably my favorite Hitchcock movie, just yeah, on I a mean, side note. Oh, that it's is that amazing. is a fantastic film. But that is, that's a MacGuffin, is that, like, everyone in the plot, in the story, is like, this is the important thing, but you know, but the audience knows that what's more important is, for instance, the relationship between the characters, and that the... MacGuff- the MacGuffin is there just so the characters have something to motivate them to get the real story going. Just trying to think of a Buffy example of it, I think probably the best one would be um, uh, from Angel Season 5 when Angel and Spike are both going over after that cup. That yes. Was- oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Very good. Yes, well, that, that would be a MacGuffin. 
Yeah, because right. uh, and I mean it ends up that the cup is filled with Mountain Dew, so it's yeah, spoilers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 a total fake out. Like they're just mm-hmm. trying to get rid of yeah. Angel and Spike no, for a bit. Really but the whole episode is about Angel and Spike's uh, competition with each other. Because right. I believe that was a big, like a flashback heavy episode where it kind of establishes like the pecking order of the um, the whirlwind. Uh, right. So yeah. so yeah, so yeah, that's so. probably like off the top of my head the the buffy mcguffin that i can think Um, of yeah right so my 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 one other thing about the whole the duloc book and the cross and the getting the ritual and all that and and this does this this looks ahead to the next episode but it is related to the book so i do kind of want to bring it up is eventually giles and the scooby gang figure out all the stuff about the ritual. <laughs> You're right. It's, it's You're right. Like, you don't need the book. <laughs> You're <laughs> so, right. You're totally so, right. So, so what is Spike just lazy? <laughs> is Spike just lazy? He's like, no, I just want to go straight to the book. I don't want to do research. Yeah. But, well, uh, I mean, well, it actually I mean, works yeah. with him as a character, but yeah, it's, it's just. I like, mean, that, yeah, these yeah. two episodes are giant plot holes, entertaining yeah. as fuck plot hole. You know. Mm-hmm. But it's, there's so many plot holes in these episodes. You're right. Yeah. I have a problem with the series as a whole. Uh, and I think this is actually one of the first times that this comes up. Sunnydale has a lot of shit in it. Oh, yeah. Like, there is just so much stuff that is buried in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like Giles has all of the research to find where all of this stuff is hidden. I would like to know why they do not just sit down, have a preemptive strike, and be like, mm-hmm. okay, let's figure out all of the stuff that's in Sunnydale. Let's dig it up and right. have the Watchers put it in a warehouse like the end of Indiana Jones. Yep. In the next scene, we have Principal Snyder uh, grilling uh, Willow and Santa. And that's, mm-hmm. he's only in this, that one tiny scene, right? It's yep. just, yeah, it's yeah. just that In one both scene. episodes. Yeah. I just love Xander saying, not your actual shoes, because you're a shoes because you're a tiny person. <laughs> um, like, I, I just wanted to say, I have a note, and I don't know what it's relating to. It's, it says, poor Buffy, she really wants to make choices, but is given no autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And that her brown and black sweater with the boots, I would wear that today, and it doesn't look dated. No, I agree. I like, it, it does it. It's just, nice. it's just pretty, it's, I mean, it's got that, like, the boots are very 90s style, but the rest of it, I'm like, I would totally wear that. It's adorable. But, yeah, like, she has no real autonomy. She's not allowed to make decisions the way that Willow and Xander mm-hmm. are at least have some control over their lives and their decisions. But I think that's yeah. part of the theme of this. these two episodes it's just to prove to that and the fact that Buffy is so frustrated that she doesn't really have a life that she's on this path that she did not choose is not yeah I just I just I feel so bad for her because this is going to come up again and again and again and again that like Buffy is so resilient and that's why I love her so much throughout this series because she has very little choice and very little real autonomy so those moments where she does really assert her own power and autonomy are really, really special. Cause this, this girl's life is a mess. I mean, yeah. and we're still in that sunny part of, you know, the episodes where there's a lot of fun, but if you really think about it in the full picture, like she's, she's a very resilient human being. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. No, I, I think actually uh, something that I noted about this episode is that there's, 
This, this episode really keeps with the pre-millennial idea of people must go out and get another yeah. job mm-hmm. yeah. from somebody else. Meanwhile, uh, these days, it's, you know, if you're in a position like Buffy, uh, I mean, like, nobody's in a position like Buffy. But in terms of if you're a person who is unable to get out of their house to get a job, whether it be for physical or psychological reasons, they're able to, you know... Uh, find some sort of livelihood for themselves often i mean not across the board but there is uh the the post-millennial thing of i if i can't work for somebody else then i'm going to be able to find a job for myself right uh yeah and they're, they're still trying to um this is still in the age of you know you, you you have to be able to n- know exactly what your job title is. Like you have to be. Oh grocer, yeah, it's very it's to, very yeah. Gen X. I mean, yeah, because they're just on the cusp. The these characters and that sort of bridge, because I'm like mm-hmm. smack dab in the middle of Gen X, yeah, right, and they're sort of tailish end, but still firmly in that. Buffy and Buffy, Willow and Xander and Cordelia would all actually be classified as millennials. They are like the first year that is qualified as millennials and actually there is a huge debate. As somebody who is, I think I'm two years younger than Buffy and uh, Buffy and all of them are supposed to be two or uh, two or three years younger, and I've always had like this internal conflict in myself in the fact that I've you know I get classified as a millennial, but then there's also all of that Gen Y bullshit, and nobody can really agree right. on what we are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, millennials. I the, the derivation of the term at least gives gives an actual time period. It's the idea is it's people who came of age of maturity yeah. at, at the turn of the century. Exactly. So, and they did. I mean, what? ninety? They all graduated in 99. Right. So they're 18, yeah. 19 years old in 1999, heading into the new millennium. So, right, yeah. well, you, you said you said Buffy was born in 80, right? She was 80. born in 80, yeah. Right, which so, is... so that's exactly right for millennials. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, of course, at the time, there was this very different mindset. And actually, as somebody who came up during that time, I mean, this is like the one time where I'll be able to be like, well, no, I guess I'll probably be able to bring this up a lot, is that my obvious upbringing in terms of, you know, time period and everything is very similar to, I mean, other than, you know, like location and everything, but just in, in terms of time that you know, that, that whole definition of, of who we were as a generation, you know, I got thrown into Gen X sometimes, and it's like, I am not fucking Gen X, no, I was born in I'm, 1983. I'm on the cusp between Baby Boomer and Gen X, so you are certainly not Gen X. So, and I'm, yeah. I'm firmly in the middle. I'm only five or five or so years older than these characters, so I was just out of high school when this show debuted. Like, they graduate in 99, and I graduated in 93. Mm-hmm. So, like, these, th- this whole, like, you need to know what you're going to do. Like, what's your job going to be for the rest of your life? Yeah. Which most of my friends do not have the same job they set out to have. Because all oh, my yeah. friends set out to be actors, and only, like, 1% of people actually <laughs> succeed at that. So, you know. Though I do have some very successful friends. My friend Chris was on Bones. Uh, yeah. 
And he yeah. was just on the Fosters. So he actually has made a really good career. But my other friends are things like New York Times bestselling novelists and not actors. Right. And not all of them. Oh, some of, I feel so some bad of my, for them. Some of you, I know, she's ama- her book is amazing. I'll plug that another time. Everyone I know, it's... Uh, uh, everyone I know, it's... We are musicians, writers, and computer mm-hmm. programmers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. Um, everybody I know now is social workers, but you know. Yeah. Since uh, we did... Uh, we were talking about future careers later on. I will forever, ever be salty that they were never able to work something out with Buffy working out the magic box. Yeah. Right. I know. Like, they only ever tried it in that one episode. And, like, there was obviously the nerds were doing stuff. But, I mean, it made so much fucking sense. Of course, I'm also forever salty that the Watcher's Council doesn't Me too. Like, I will totally get there. Well, well, the Watcher's Council are just fuckheads. A bag of dicks. yeah. Yeah. And just, not like a good bag of dicks that you go out no. and buy for yourself, like an actual bag of severed dicks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I ain't got no problem with people going out and buy, but like, what I mean is a dildo. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Um, yes, no, no. They're, they're a bad bag of dicks. Yeah. I mean, you would think that in season five, when Buffy basically takes over the Watcher's Council and gets Giles his money retroactive from the time he was fired she would have also been like oh yeah and i also get pissed at giles well, for not telling them they're gonna pay her he yeah, ne- i mean well, he gives her money you know what like we're gonna get mm-hmm. there right now i understand where they're not paying her she's 16 right well yeah she lives with mm-hmm. her mom yeah but um, and also I, yeah. I have said this before and i will say it again and i'm sure like this will all i'll be saying during the episode helpless the mm. watchers council wants buffy to die she, they buffy do they want their slayers to die at 18 yeah, they, they really do. Be, worry about them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as we'll find out in in this story, like it's clear that nobody in the Watchers Council talks to anybody else in the Watchers Council. Nope. Oh, definitely not. And by the time we get to Helpless, it, it will be clear the Watchers Council is severely dysfunctional and borderline evil. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, they're just so high bounded and so like conservative with a small C that they this is this is the way it's been done. It's always going to be done that way, and we don't yeah. have any reason to change. Meanwhile, they're putting everybody's young people's lives. At... I mean, they represent the patriarchy that Buffy's fighting against. They really right, exactly. do. It's like they're just a direct representation of that. Yeah, so. and I mean, like they 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 actually do. Like in one episode, I believe it's checkpoint. Mm-hmm. I love checkpoints of my favorites. They specifically call the Slayer a tool of the Watcher's yeah, Council. For sure. right. And I definitely believe that the whole reason why Slayers are young girls and why they have this, you know, stupid ass, you know, test for them when they turn 18 is because they want to kill them off so that they don't have girls that, you know, can actually... Well, they don't want they don't they don't want gir- they don't want women. They want girls because they're more pliable. Yeah, they want right. girls who are dependent on them. And we'll even start to get in. I will get into this a little bit more in part two because we definitely do start to see shades of that once we really get into uh, establishing who Kendra is. Yes. Yeah, um, we, yeah, that that's definitely a conversation we're going to have like yeah. next week. Since, since since we'll have that conversation in part two, let's have the conversation about. Oz and Willow! Right? Yes. Yay! Something positive! Squeeze, um, squeeze, squeeze, I have squeeze, a question. Squeeze. Yes. I have a question. What do you guys think? 
what would Oz have done if Willow hadn't walked into that room? Would he eventually sought her out, figured out who she was, ran into her some other way? Like, because, like, Oz is very proactive in his relationship, and it's obvious that he's so into her. Mm-hmm. But he's not ever done anything to figure out who she is. Well, I think considering later on he runs, literally runs into Buffy, I think literally he would have run into Willow again at some point, and then he would have worked his wonderful Oz charm, and everything would have been right at least mm-hmm. for a little while. Because I totally ship yeah. these guys, and I am like, no oh. repentant in my love of Willow and Oz, and deal with it. Oh, <laughs> no, I there's no dealing with it in this case. Like, everybody, I think, here loves them. Yeah. Oh, God, as oh, here, many yeah. problems as I have with these episodes, it's like every time Willow and Oz are on screen together, I, I have just the biggest smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're perfect. Yeah, it's so um, wonderful. They're just, yeah. they're wonderful. I remember very clearly when they uh, had this, when they did this scene, when this, this episode first aired, when, you know, the, the guy steps aside and you see Oz, I fucking screamed. <laughs> I know. I was so happy. Canapay? I just I, love you know, that it is his first words to her, a canopy. Yeah, I, okay. I, I find it interesting that, like, that they show us n- almost none of their interaction in that scene. Right. It, it, it's mm, like, yeah. and also, I, also, I'm, I'm gonna nitpick. I don't, I, I don't think shrimp count as canopy. No, I agree. Okay, with yeah. moving on. And, and, and I'm wondering <laughs> if, if actually, if Willow refuses the shrimp because she's Jewish. It's possible. I mean, Maybe we never get into whether or not she's kosher, but yeah, it's well, very but possible. no, but even, but it's it, it's not uncommon for for Jewish people occasionally to not eat certain foods that aren't kosher, not because they're kosher, but but because it's part of the culture. Yeah, like you, yeah. that you basically you didn't grow up eating it because. It's I don't know. I come from a family where my gra- my kosher, my very kosher grandmother used to eat canned shrimp in her house, but it had to be canned, and she had a special canned shrimp fork, and then it was okay, even though she was <laughs> kosher. So it's like lo- kosher logic in and out of the house, like you know, completely right. baffles me because I was not, I did not grow up kosher. But yeah, I agree with you that it's possible that she just kind of has an aversion to it without even like a, not a logical aversion because it is trafe, but. Right. I, I remember that actually came up once when uh, we went out to dinner together. I think we had gone to Denny's and you had ordered turkey bacon. Yeah, I and I was like, did. oh, is that because you're kosher? And you gave me like this really funny look. And it was like, no, it's because turkey bacon is more healthy. And it's like, you've seen me eat ham before. When I like start with the, because I'm lactose intolerant and I'll start with the, the, the waiter about like no dairy products. I'll have people who say, oh, you're kosher? I didn't know that. Like, no, I'm lactose intolerant. Huh. I love cheese. I love cheeseburgers. It don't love me and you want to be able to spend an <laughs> evening with me without my being horribly ill but yeah it's it's one of those weird things but yes i'd forgotten about that denny's thing that was a galley thing i think yeah um yeah yeah so i i love it's very subtle seth Green is great because she sits down he's got the tray he's looking at the tray like he's just staring in his oz way he's like staring at this tray of appetizers He's trying to understand. Them. He's trying to understand. Yes. Him, but then he sees her out of his corner of the eye. And there's this incredible, subtle micro bit of acting where he's just like, <gasps> like, it's this, like, it's something in his it's eyes. He's like, it's the, take ever. it's the girl. It's, it's yeah. that girl. It's that right. girl. I'm going to find out who she is. And like, it's just, it, it's, it's so small of a moment, but it's so great. And it's Seth Green's little reaction. It's amazing. 
Oh, he's so good. And as somebody who is like, like the Willow and Oz shippers, that was like the first group of people that I really connected with in the Buffy fandom. Like before that, before this, I, you know, kind of lurked in the, um, posting board on the fringes of things, but Willow and Oz, like when those, uh, Yahoo groups at the time, I, I believe it was. It came up, I was joining all of them. But canapes became such a huge thing yeah. like, okay. after I... this happened. It's like, that was like a huge joke with, you know. Canapes and the feather boa and the theme from a summer place. Those are like yes. huge in the fandom uh, for years. But I, it's such a great just little scene. I just. Yeah, as I think I mentioned that I, I got into Buffy fandom because the friend of mine who was the hardcore viewer was a huge, huge Willow Oz shipper. And then, you know, later on things went to hell and I kind of got dragged into it because I wanted to understand what she was talking about. And I've always liked Alison Hannigan. I love Seth Green. So it was like, I sort of knew that they were supposed to be together. So I can't even imagine what it would have been like to watch this going in like cold, not knowing their, their thing. And just like suddenly, you know, the gasp of like, Oh my God, it's that guy. <laughs> and it's wonderful even knowing it, but God, I wish in some ways that I had not known and I'd watched from the beginning going into this completely unknowing anything because the amount of surprise and like squee would have been like off the charts i think well it is a testament to the writers and to seth's acting that this is only the third episode that oz has been in and already people were like when are they gonna meet when are they gonna meet well half of them were and the other half were like now that people got all that that is true there was half of the group that were really salty about xander and willow not happening Willow has had this really bad uh, track record of every time a new love interest is introduced on the show, there is a huge contingent of people who absolutely hate It happens to Buffy, too. Like, people automatically had it out for Riley Finn before. I I know he's not the strongest character ever, but people already hated him. Just from just from a promotional picture in a magazine before they'd ever heard him say a word and knew anything about him. I remember so. hearing all about that and like going in preparing to hate Riley because I knew so many people who had such strong opinions of him. And I'd like true confession, I like Riley. I do I too. Mean, he- I, I don't understand the hate for him, except that he's not a vampire and he's not Angel or he's not Spike. So if you're and, and this like the whole shipper war thing in general, like, you know, it's a show. It can work unless it's like a, it's something that doesn't work. So, yeah, stop it. <laughs> I, I will. Once we get into the Riley episode, it's I will get into some of my feelings about Riley. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely have feelings. But, yeah, this is definitely like we dislike Angel more than we dislike Riley, which is super weird. But, um, yeah, that scene is just in its tiny little scene. Oh, it's beautiful. Which they have room for because it's a two-parter. I mean, obviously yeah. they had to put them in the same room. They had to, that had to be in it. Oh yeah, it regardless. Had to but um, so yeah, I would just we can squee about that all day, but. And I, I almost wonder if, like, the, the whole school fair thing, aside from, like, the, the character moments of everybody else, if, like, part of the reason that they actually did this in the first place was just to give us that scene of Willow and Oz meeting and, like, the weird computer, like, secret lair interview room. Well, the, the career fair does actually have, like, a underlying thing with Buffy because oh, like, yeah. the whole episode yeah. is what's my line and it's all about, you know, what are we going to do when we grow up and this whole episode, uh, Buffy learning from Kendra, it's all about, you know, that it's being the Slayer is not actually a job 
for Buffy right. that it is you know inherent into who she is and that's not a Slayer legacy thing that is just who who Buffy is yeah yeah but it, it um, always feels like a little bit of reverse engineering like somebody said hey so how are we going to get them together and then like they sort of built it around it but yeah there 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 could be a little bit of that yeah and so after the wonderful Willow and Oz scene we get into uh Buffy and Angel no we get the bug man yeah. Oh, we get the bug we man. We get the bug man, and my note says, even in the 90s, I don't think traveling salesmen were still a thing. No, they weren't. They weren't. Um, and I wouldn't have let that creeper in. Um, yeah. But I reckon- if he was offering you free things? No, I totally would not have let a guy in giving me free mail. Like, I just wouldn't have let him in. Because the thing is, the way the, the, way the, the characters who let him in play it. Super sexist. It's like, as soon, yeah. as, soon as they go, it's like, he goes free, he go, they, they go, free it's like it's like the magic word that lets him in free it's makeup because really that's all women want are free makeup right which i have to say like i mean i know this is from a later scene but i have a lot of problems when cordelia does that yeah. when yeah. she lets him in because of the free samples because cordelia has literally said it's better because it costs more right True. she'd be the kind of person who would go to like you know, the, whatever the equivalent of Sephora was or the, the Macy's counter with the high-end, like, super, like, $50 lipstick even in 1997. Yeah. She would not be, like, dealing with cheap-ass, you know, equivalent of, like, there's nothing wrong with Avon. I never have used Mary Kay, so I don't know. But that whatever the cheap-ass free equivalent of that kind of stuff is, because that's not good makeup and it doesn't cost. Avon ain't cheap, though. Avon yeah. is not cheap makeup. It's really, and I think even no, I, I like, that, I like but... Avon, but I'm just saying like the equivalent of that is compared to going to the Mac counter or right. going to the Christian Dior counter and spending like 20, in those days, 20, $30 on a lipstick now, like 50 or 60 because, so then she can say, oh, look, I have the, you know, limited edition Dior, blah, 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 you know, lippy. So, you know, the only time I've ever dealt with what I would kind of term as a traveling salesman is actually a galley. Uh, somebody had come to Galley and was trying to sell fucking makeup to, you know, various people. And <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And had come up to me because I was, I was outside smoking and it was, it came up and is just like, oh, well, let me show you my, ma- your, this makeup that I have. Meanwhile, I am all fucking gothed out at the time because <laughs> this was back when I was still going really gothy and it was trying to sell me on all of these like neutral, like brown tones. And I was just like, fucking look at me. Look at me. Get <laughs> look at my face. <laughs> yeah, I see. And I remember I, I'm doing this scene and I think Kelly Connell, who plays the bug guy, Norman Fister, um, is really great. Oh, he was wonderfully mm-hmm. He's wonderful. But I, I, rec- I recognized him. I remember when the episode aired, I was like, oh, that's the guy. He was on a, the miniseries of Tales of the City, which was like a huge deal because it showed like gay nudity for the first time mm-hmm. yeah, on the, broadcast um, television. Was on PBS. So yeah. I remember him as um, Norman Neal Williams or something from that miniseries. I was like, oh, it's a great choice. So um, he's just wonderfully creepy. But so innocuously looking creepy. Like, he's like Bug Willie Loman. I mean, that's totally how the customers have him dressed, with the glasses. With the, He's Bug Willie Loman. I thought it was I, John Billingsley originally, because they look they have a similar look. And I was like, is that? No, that's not Dr. Fox. It's like somebody else. Yeah. No, I just yeah, think yeah, but he does have a very similar look. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just... Um, and actually, the actor who plays Dr. Fox. John Billingsley. Uh, yes. He, he turns up on Angel. Okay, cool. Well, there we go. But they could be like brothers on a show, and it would work really well. Yeah, but yeah. So what I want, what I want to know is, I'm I'm convinced that worms are not bugs. Well, I think it was maggots. They were like larvae. 
I don't they're, think they they're worms. worms. They are in. They are well. Oh. If Marty Noxon's to believe, be believed, they're worms. Okay. And there, there were worm wranglers. And, and I get that, and I get that bugs are worms are not bugs, but in terms of Xander and Cordelia, squishy things are bugs. Yeah, but but everyone refers to him exclusively as the bug guy. Right. Marty Noxon does it on the commentary. Google she, too. Like, and, and I'm just like, he's not a bug guy. He's a worm guy. Well, I'm going to forgive that one because, like, a lot of people that don't know shit like that. Like, yeah. I, yes, I know that there are larvae and that there are worms. But at the same time, I probably would have been bug guy. But also, See, to I, me, like, larvae is, they're, they're basically infant bugs. So they're bugs. They're not like it, it's not like it's an earthworm or it's a uh, I don't know what. So yeah, I'm I'm with I'm on with Cordelia and Xander on this one. But I I understand your reason for being you know specific, David. And you're right, but I mean, and I'm, I'm and I'm actually not worried about excusing it. I I just I'm just confused as how everyone gets to bug guy from worms because it's because it seems to be universal. I don't know. I probably would have called him Bug Guy too, honestly. Like, if I met a man made out of maggoty worms, I would have been like, oh my god, Bug Guy. Yeah. It just has a better flow, too. Bug Guy instead of Worm Guy. Yeah. I just looked it up, uh, according to, because I did, uh, found a debate online, which is, are worms considered bugs? So according to Wikipedia, a bug is either specifically an insect from the order Hemptera, known as the true bugs, or informally an insect, spider, or other small pest excluding rodents, including most arthropods, except marine crustaceans, including individuals or species of centipede, millipede, mite, ticks, woodlouse, and worms. So. Right, I think okay. it's a col- oh. I think it's colloquial too it's like yeah she thinks are bugs regardless of whether they're bugs or not i don't think they're using bug as like genotyping yeah Yeah, they're just using bug as bugs (laughs) just gross shit like like any small crawly thing is a bug okay so i was just curious about the the mechanism yeah i know and actually, even with that um, that definition that I just read, I consider lobsters to be bugs. Okay, I just consider them to be crustaceans and good to eat. But <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're basically the whale equivalent of cockroaches. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I love it, but I, I won't it, eat cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um... okay, and so I just real um, yeah. So you know, going from. You know, the definition of bugs into some uh, gr- grammar stuff, uh, whether slay or slew is correct. Um, and Giles is correct. Both Those slayed and slew are is correct. correct. Yes. Um, uh, uh, s- slayed is uh, more archaic. Right. Um, uh, and, and slew is modern. Uh, but it's being used more frequently now. I was just about to say, it's become back into because she's I've never used the word slew. I've always said slayed, but I'm a lifelong Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, so... I actually think part of the reason it's become much more in the the modern parlance is because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And and slew is more common in the UK. I've used both. I know I've used both over the years, not knowing one was more archaic than the other, so I can't really claim that I love one more than the other. <laughs> but yeah, slay, uh, it's funny now because everyone's like, oh, she slayed. She slayed on the, the runway or whatever. 
Well, actually, yeah. Slade on the runway is com- is c- c- uh, con- completely different. Actually, you would never use slew in that case. Right. Um, but I mean, like... Uh, but she slew her she opponent slew, on the runway. She's... she's uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, you could use he slayed a, slayed a dragon or she slew a dragon. Right. Either yeah. of those is correct. Uh, meanwhile, she slayed. You know, that's... You know, you would never use she slew. No. Um, so. So it's interesting. It's, very it's And it's very Giles to be like, no, 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 both are correct. Yeah, there are so many debates about it online, and it all comes fr- from this fucking episode. Well, Giles, yeah. wait, I'm just going to take Giles as his word because he's fucking Giles. Right. Yeah, yeah. But on yeah. top of that, it makes me laugh that, like, that they obviously, like, did some research on, but other things, no, not so much. Like, it's funny to see yeah. where they actually like made the point to do something and i've just i wonder if they 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 might have looked it up for this episode because one it it is a funny bit and two it's something that's obviously going to come up a lot in terms of the show because it's buffy the vampire slayer it's pretty easy to grab an oed oxford english dictionary and just look up the word origins and silly and slew Mm -hmm. like that's not a lot of research that's freaking just grabbing the dictionary um so yeah I yeah. So, no, yeah, yeah. And, and and speaking of archaic, I I'm gonna jump back to the Dulac Cross for a minute yes. because because <laughs> so, well what happened well so so when when Giles gives the whole speech about the Dulac manuscript, he says that Dulac wrote it in archaic Latin, which was only understood by the, his sect. Now a that makes no sense. <laughs> But B, if it's written in archaic Latin, it's a key would be useless, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not because it's not a code. Oh, it's right. it's just a language <laughs> that is not well remembered. So, I, <clears throat> sorry this this is like one point where they just like clearly made like eighty seven mistakes. Well, it's like mm-hmm. the this, the face of the moon. Is it a full moon or is it a new moon? Um, so, right. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that right. is totally yeah. a bunch of new together. That's yeah. a whole. I mean, shame. I mean, it's like, did they want the cross to be a decoder, or did they want it to be a Rosetta Stone, or right. like? Yeah, I don't understand. And I mean, it seems like considering the manuscript actually does makes. Like, it makes enough sense that it, Dalton is able to create actual words. That's why we we get the whole thing of mm-hmm. uh, debase the beef, the canoe, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's it does it does create actual words. That's not how, like, archaic Latin or, like, um, a, a Latin, like, spoken by a specific sect would work. And yeah. it doesn't seem like a find and replace would work because that would just no. create, you know. Right. So, ugh. Yeah. It's no, just, it, it just, that that is just a black hole of illogic. We just need to get out of, climb out of this hole. I was going to say, to me, like, for the cross to be a Rosetta Stone would have made so much more sense and made it so much easier in the whole story than to worry about, like, cryptology and, and, and codes and, I mean, none of it makes sense anyway, but at least, like, oh, yeah, the back of the cross is a Rosetta Stone. It gives you the key to, like, translating this, da 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 the end. Okay, move on. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it just seems like they wanted to, you know, just throw in a bunch of shit to see how it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And somehow there was no, like, story editor to, like, go through this and, like, actually pick up this stuff. And, like, there well, never you know, is. Like, like, there never is. Like, yeah. there's so many plot holes and abi- a- applied phlebotnums and... And it's not internally consistent. This show is yeah. never internally consistent. Okay. And do you know what? I know Buffy needs to be a regular teenage girl. But it seems like every fucking episode, Buffy is trying to fuck off of doing her work. Leaving it to Willow and Xander to do. So that she can go out on a date or she can go to a party. But she already something. made the date. It's not like she blew it off just to, like, maybe Angel will be there. They, like, made an actual set date. Yes, yeah, but I feel like, you know, if there is one person on this planet who would understand. It, that I is, know. You know. We did. Sarah just wanted to ice skate. Yeah, I know. And also, this is another thing that I have a problem with. But then this might be my Canadian coming out. But I don't understand why they had to go. Well, I'm okay. Plot wise, I understand why they had to go to a closed skating rink. But, um,. Here in Canada, like, skating rinks are open until, like, 10 o'clock at night. Actually, in, in New York, they are, too. I mean, you know, it depends, uh, like, usually on the weekends. I don't know about weekdays. Yeah. But, yeah, we have a skating rink that I, like, trained in when I was a kid. And it was, they used to have, like, community or, like, you know, they'd, like, play music or whatever. And people would yeah. go on dates. Yeah, in the evening. So, I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I'm that. sorry. I'm in New Mexico. And I know that our skating rink stays open for stuff. Like, it's like the roller rink. Yeah. Yeah, and actually... Um, I can't even excuse it within the show because Angel, once we get over onto his own show, uh, when Connor is born, he wants to teach Connor how to play hockey yeah. because, and he says specifically because the games are played at night and Angel will be able to go watch them. They're not so always at night, Connor. but whatever. Well, yeah, they're played indoors at least. My my nieces all play really competitive, like high level for teenagers hockey. They're shit is all the time and mostly in the afternoon honestly so their kids could not be hanging out at 10 o'clock yeah i mean that that's a debate for that episode which i believe is possibly sleep tight yeah Um, yeah that's fine yeah uh but yeah angel's line is because the games are played indoors and usually at night so true they um, are indoors yeah so um i mean like the whole point is that Rinks are open late, so I don't see why they have to go to one that's fucking closed. Because Angel wants uh, to be alone. They want to be alone. Yes, but that's not like... I It's I know it's for plot contrivance and because they need to be all sweet and alone. But the thing is, that's not what normal dates are like. Yeah, but who... Angel doesn't know how to have a normal date. Yeah, <laughs> I... Yeah, Angel and Buffy don't have a normal relationship. You have to break into a fucking skating rink, though. I mean, it's like... Okay, you're taking your six, you're taking your sixteen-year-old uh, girlfriend out on a date, which is questionable enough. Right, but you're gonna ha- have her break into a fucking skating rink. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, from a practical standpoint, uh, since she's going to be attacked by one of the Order of Taraka. Yeah. You know that having other people there would have made that scene a lot more difficult. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get that from, like, the, the story perspective, but... Yeah, yeah you're right. There's, it there's is no, the again, it, it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. I also want to know, is the guy that Buffy killed in the skating rink a demon or a human? Because... See, this is, this is something that I, 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 I was... I, I, I'm very confused by. Because the Order of Taraka, 
you know, because Spike calls them, we kind of assume at the beginning, it's like, oh, it must be a vampire cult of assassin. It's not. But but it's not. It's, no. they've got this guy who, I don't know what he is. He doesn't show any particular demonic power. He just looks like a kind of messed up guy. Yeah, but is one, he blind in one eye? Like, yeah, but like they, ad- they address yeah. it. Isn't it Giles that talks about how Giles says some of them are human. Some of them are human, some of them, some are, of them are demons, some of them are bad. Like, they're just this, like, yeah, they're, mercenary. They're this, bag. they're this mercenary order, so. Like, yeah, he's blinded one eye, because if you remember, the, the tarot card actually looks like a cyclops. Yeah. Um, and and you can sort of see, it's like, it's weird because his face is all messed up, and he definitely had, like, a white contact yeah, on one, one of side. His, one of his yeah. eyes is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But nothing about his look actually suggests that he is anything but human. It's just, like, that he is scarred. Yeah, he's, like, right. a creepy-looking human. Also, and also, it's, like, Buffy, you know, it's it, Buffy doesn't stake him. Buffy cuts his throat. Which is great, by the way. Yes. He red. Yeah. What? Well, uh, did you actually see some blood? I was just about to say, he never bled, and it's like, that's something that bothered me. She slashes his throat, and there's, like, nothing on the ice, no blood spurting in, like, a, a no. wonderful arc. Okay, nothing. so what happened is they wouldn't, they thought for primetime television, Yeah. what Marty originally wrote was, like, this, she calls it yeah. Fargo Coen Brothers, like, blood yeah. on the ice, and they were like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing this. This is blood, a primetime television show about teenagers. We're not doing it. Yeah. There there was a little bit of blood. There's there a little there. bit. Okay, There's a little bit entirely. of blood. There's yeah. a little bit of blood. But again. Yeah, but it's it's very little. At the very least, we can see that it's not like green acid blood. Right. Right. That's true. Like, right. Like, like everything yeah, about this guy suggests that he's human. And Yeah. But, and I also want to note, the Order of Taraka, they must not take much for their work because apparently they travel by bus. Well, I mean, I don't understand, like, um... Like, I want to know how to get into the order. Just, like, is there an application process? Do you need a resume? <laughs> like... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously Spike is able to afford the order of Karaka, and Spike doesn't seem like he actually has all that much money. I think, he just goes, I think he steals a lot of money. Like, I think it's just yeah. one of those things that we assume that, that Spike just steals shit. Yeah, but I mean, like, later on, like, when he's, you know, like, holed up in his crypts, he, you know, doesn't, you know, he steals money from Xander, and that's kind of it. I uh, see, it's my headcanon yeah. that Xander, that Spike just robs places, or robs pe- and mugs people. Yeah, um, and, but... Giles, when he's talking about the Order of Taraka, he's like, they have no earthly desires except to collect their bounty. Mm-hmm. A bounty is an earthly desire. Yes. It's it's like, it's like okay, so, I mean, they're going to get a bounty. It's like, so, I mean, they must have some sort of earthly desire if they want to collect this bounty so that they can, you know, spend it on something. Unless, More unless weapons? they all work for free and the bounty just goes to the Order as a whole. But then why doesn't the order get used way more? Like, is there, like, a, like, how, like, do they only hire themselves out to, like, you know, like, do, I mean, they don't believe in the cause or else they're not bounty hunters. Bounty hunters don't believe in, you know, they're just hired. Well, they're not described as bounty, I mean, Giles says they collect their bounty, but, but they're described more as assassins than bounty hunters. Uh, 
It's a very fine line, I'd say. It's just because bounty hunters... Well, I'd say the line between bounty hunters and assassins is assassins kill the people, bounty hunters... Uh, bring them bring in. Bring people in. in, yeah. Yeah. And also, sometimes assassins are actually religious cults, whereas bounty hunters are basically mercenaries who do it just to collect money. So... Yeah, but I mean, I do feel like the Order of Taraka was supposed to be kind of a mercenary group that, you know, it was basically just hired out by. Yeah. Um, so, I mean. Well, I think we've basically just hit another one of these. Uh, yeah, this episode isn't big on logic. Right. And here's another one in this same scene, right? You know, Angel's like, I don't want you to have to touch me when I'm like this. I'm like, this is the only time we see you not just immediately switching back and forth. Like, is it like he left himself in vamp faced for too long and it got stuck there? Like our moms told us <laughs> not to do when we made dumb faces. Yeah. Didn't, didn't his mom tell him about that? I was like, did I miss something? Why is he still in vamp face? I thought they like, you know, face back right away, but... Right, they can. Yeah. They can do it at will. It's like an on-off yeah. switch. And so the minute he was Again, done... Again, I bring up Connor. There's a scene when he's taking care of baby Connor, and he literally switches back and forth between bands. Yeah, and... because he's entertaining him. Like, Connor thinks it's really cute. It's like one of those things where you play... He's basically paying peekaboo with his baby, but with vamp face, not vamp face. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, like, they do, like... The vamp face does come up with the adrenaline, because, I mean, like, that's the whole reason why Angel's vamp face comes up when he's kissing Buffy the first time. And, right. And, and I, I mean, I, it is totally a contrivance so that Kendra will see them. But yeah, I, mean, I know. I'm getting pisses me I'm off. Getting really, I'm getting really sick of saying, oh, this is a plot contrivance, yeah, so this can happen. I don't like stories that do that right and it just in this case it was like very beauty and the beast just to be able to say see buffy is so deep that she loves him for who he is and not what he looks like and it's like yeah but usually he's a pretty good looking guy and she knows this is temporary it's not like oh my god something happened and i'm stuck like this as a monster for the rest of my life and it's like mm. i wonder if she'd be willing to kiss him when he got that uh pilea vampire face going on yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, if 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 you're going to be angry about plot contrivances, you're going to spend pretty much the rest of this podcast, like yeah. not this episode, but this Especially entire podcast, this. being right. angry. <laughs> My entire life is being angry at TV shows. Yeah, about no, plot me too. I just yeah. This well, I mean, they, I get mad at reality shows and their plot contrivances, and I'm like, it's fucking reality show, right? But yeah, no, no, it's 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 internal logic, and I I don't like it either. Um, but yeah. Oh, I do I do love Buffy's line. He shows her the ring, and she's like, "I just killed a Super Bowl champ." <laughs> That's a good one, right? Like, I'm yep. gonna bring out a positive. That's kind of what I do. I'm like, right, right, right. But this thing was really great. Like, I think that's my point. Um, David well, the nitpicks. dialogue in this, like, it, it, I ignore the logic because the, the character stuff in the logic. Yeah, the, the, the characters and the lines are like really, really good. Point. And so, I think it's really cute that Sarah got to do the figure skating. I mean, yeah. yes. And I don't I, think they, I, I they, do they love didn't. That. They didn't I, I was really looking at that scene very well. I don't think they really did a lot of doubling. Oh, no. Uh, Mar Marty, Marty, says, Marty says the skating's all, all Sarah. Yeah, it's all Sarah. So that's cute. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's not like they really taxed her that much. No, like, was, I mean, it was, it was, there's, it was there's nothing complex there. Yeah, 
And I think it um, also like gives you another side to Buffy. You, you just get like a moment of like Buffy being like completely calm and completely happy, which we don't see a lot. So yeah. it's actually a really beautiful moment on that. Yeah, end it's a it. really great moment. Yeah, I, I don't. I think she's a normal sixteen-year-old girl who's pretty good at skating, but is not an Olympic whatever. No, but yeah, okay. she's yeah. And also, I just like that they introduce something that Buffy likes. Yeah, right. Not, that, that's outside of, like, the shoes and everything that she's into. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they always play with, like, the bubbly, you know, SoCal girl. But this is, like, an actual thing that she is interested yeah, in. And absolutely. it's something that does carry through because they will bring it up again in Helpless where she goes to the ice capades mm-hmm. every year and yeah. she wants to go with Giles and tear, tear, tear. Right, and, I know. I'll have lots to say when we get there, but... Um. Yeah, um, probably get to that uh, well, first, uh, after we get into the whole, the explanation of the Order of Taraka, which we've already been kind of uh, yeah. harping on, we get, like, the little scene where Buffy is wandering the halls, and I'm bringing this up because I love Oz, but mm. I actually really, this is the first time Buffy and Oz meets, and I oh, I want to mention it just because I love Buffy and Oz's low-key friendship. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's it's something that's never really really gotten into, but just the few scenes we have with them together, I really like their chemistry, and it's I probably you. because it's Buffy, uh, not Buffy, uh, Sarah and Seth are good friends, and they're really still awesome. really good friends. Like she's they're been really doing good friends. Voice work for him for years, so like yeah, yeah I was gonna yeah, say, I know no, she I shows up great. on Robot Chicken and stuff. Yeah, well, it seems like everybody loves Seth as a human being, and he just yeah. like, makes all these friends and forever and ever. And I love that about him. And yeah, and and Oz just has chemistry with everybody. I think Oz is just Oz. Yeah, and I mean, like the reaction is so great that that, that is a tense person. <laughs> <laughs> and I also really like the scene in general because I like the fact that she's suddenly like so paranoid and she's yeah. looking at everywhere and she cannot trust anybody anywhere. I mean, part of my brain is like, well, why isn't she with like the people she does trust is like to have her back. But despite that, it really it's just like the whole paranoia and the, the, the way it's shot. It's actually really beautifully done. And you kind of feel mm-hmm. like the tension there and then you get the yeah. little comic relief. So. Yeah. yeah, and then we then we get into the scene that introduces Willie into the Buffyverse. Right, and- I, I I found that scene to be very proto Angel. It's very the way yep. the way that Angel is speaking to him is very noir. It's yeah, very yeah. first season Angel the way he's like going at it. So I thought that was a really great preview of what we're going to see from Angel when he's on his own television show. Yeah, having not watched a lot of Angel yet, um, it kind of was like, I was wondering, like, is this where they suddenly said, well, you know, if we're going to give him a spinoff, we have to make him, like, a noir detective. Because it, it does. He just suddenly, I was like, this feels like what I know about Angel. And yeah. is this, like, foreshadowing? Or is this just, like, happenstance yeah. that works really well? So they're like, okay, this is the direction we're going to go in. Yeah, uh, I legit have the note. I feel this scene at Willie's is basically the plot of a- the pilot of Angel. Yeah, yep. no, for sure. I have the basically the same note. So I like Willie. Yeah. I think he's a great character, and I really wish the actor mm-hmm. had been able to. They'd been able to incorporate him in later seasons. I think it just even in a small way. He, and I he know he makes a couple of se- a couple of appearances. I believe his last one is in season. Four. Oh, he's definitely in season four. But the actor ended up on that show with. Ted Danson that was in a bar. Um, oh, right, yeah. And it's, so I uh, don't think Becker? he was... Becker? Saviero Guerrero, right. I believe. I, he ended up on that, and so they didn't... But I thought Willie, like, even when they're packing up Sunnydale to, like, leave, you know, in season seven, it would have been an interesting... But the actor wasn't available, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I my, think... My, 
no, my other note about it, just because we were talking about noir, was also like, this is really noirish and down to the Brooklyn accent, because it's like, Willie is like, we're in California, and this guy is like, so kind of like, stereotypical New York noir, you know, bar yeah. guy, which I thought was really yeah, it, funny, and it was a nice touch. And his name is Willie the Snitch, I mean, right. come on. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> great, it's noir. very noir. Um, and I... Uh, I like the way that scene is written and it has a really great homage to noir. So, and we'll talk a little about Willie in the next episode, but I think that, um, that really it's, it's an interesting contrast to Xander and Cordy, which is pretty much the thing that's coming up next. Right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of Giles in there with some, some exposition, which Tony always does amazingly. Like Tony does makes exposition sound really interesting when it's not yeah but um uh the yeah we do have uh xander and cordelia and it's the scooby gang is actually mentioned they actually yeah it's the first time they call him the scooby gang yay and i love that but in contrast to that noir scene i think it's really interesting because the way the dialogue for cordy and xander plays a lot of the time and i think marty really gets the dialogue between them really well it all sounds like it's an homage to screwball comedies from the 1930s. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. It's very Howard Hawks. It's very Preston Sturges. Yep, very like, I love it. Uh, Tracy Hepburn or Cary Grant, whoever. Yeah, no, I, I've got the same feeling. Yeah, I was specifically thinking of the... I, I'm a huge fan of Preston Sturges, who yep. directed mm. The Lady Eve and Sullivan's Travels, and it got that real... The pace of it is really... I love it. Like, I mm. love what they do with the two of them and their dialogue. So, yeah, and is it so? I'm, one of my notes in there is just like, even though it's like telegraphing that oh, they're fighting and therefore they're going to be like snogging like any minute. When it happens, it's great. I mean, just the scene works really oh, yeah. well. Oh yeah, you know, you know where it's going, and they don't snog yeah. until the next episode, do they? Yeah, no, they. Yeah, it's the next episode. Okay, right. next so we'll talk about the snog yeah. in a little while. Sorry. But even just walking up the sidewalk to break into Buffy's house, like it's really rapid fire. I just think, and it, and it's really both in their voices. Again, Marty nails these characters' voices. And I, I really, I love this build. Like, I mean, even though like, the, the kiss happens very suddenly, they have been building up Xander and Cordelia as a couple basically since episode two, I believe. Yeah, like, since yeah, the... They really start to amp it up. So I feel like when it actually got to this point, it's like we were all just kind of waiting for it because we knew what was going to happen. Yeah, that's what I was saying. But it, it works so well, they just crackle on screen. Oh, so great. But the music cue and the, yeah. We'll get there next episode, but. I made a note that uh, when they're looking at their uh, results from the tests, I note that, you know, Cordy actually bothers looking at Xander's. I know. Thing. And it's like, yeah. And, and yeah, she makes fun of him, but I could have easily seen her just looking at hers and then just walking away, yeah. but she doesn't. Right, and it's the pretext that she's going to make fun of him, but. Right, and she doesn't look at anybody else's either. It's this tiny, tiny precursor of of this. This this is a slow build over these two episodes. Yep. To that, and I think that works really well. Mm, I do too. And, and in too. retrospect, you see how it builds as we go on. I do. I do have to question those. Like, why does Giles tell Xander to have Cordy give him a ride? Don't Bill, Buffy and Willow and Xander go over to each other's houses all the time without getting a ride? Yeah. Uh, so that's a little... Uh, so but we, we don't hear Xander's side of that conversation. It's just 
It's Giles going, yeah, yeah, Xander, just do what you need to do to get the fuck over there. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, I, again, it's a setup for later where they just, so they can get into the car and peel out yeah. after all the oh, yeah. stuff happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, we're kind of to the end of this episode now where we yes. get uh, Buffy and Kendra facing off against each other. Dun, dun, and dun. I think we shall, we'll, we will leave the bulk of this to the next episode. Because I, I did want to talk about the reveal. We ha- Yes, we have to talk yeah. about the reveal. MC, did you know? I had no clue. I had like, no clue either, and I was so sh- I was like screaming at my TV because yeah. I didn't I didn't get to check websites. Like I loved you engage in Buffy stuff, but I was still in a dorm. We didn't have personal computers and internet access in our dorms at the time. So if I wanted to do anything with like going on the internet to look up Buffy stuff, I had to go to the computer lab while I was checking my email or like on a break from writing a paper. So yeah. I had no clue. It was a huge yeah. deal. Yeah, and I think back in the day in season two, we still weren't getting all that many spoilers. No, it really we still wasn't weren't, until yeah. like maybe season five, four, season four, season four season five, five that we were really starting to kick into gear on on spoilers. So you would have some like I remember hearing a rumor that Oz was a werewolf. That okay. was like the. I, I, I knew that was a rumor that was going around. But, I mean, back in those days, we didn't even call them spoilers. We called them rumors. Yeah. Um, True. But, yeah, like, they were I called did, rumors. Yeah. I did not hear anything about there being another Slayer. And it was a huge shock at the end of this episode when she said she's the Vampire Slayer. Um, and, like, throughout this episode, I mean, they don't play their hand at all. I mean, they do no. actually set up that she is, you know, sinister. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, they did it fairly well. Oh, it's well, a genius only, reveal. The only the only thing that that kind of gives something away because because I think they at first set it up to make it look like she's part of the Order of Taraka, but then she goes after Angel, which yeah. uh, the Order of Taraka has no reason to do. But we don't really know who she's going after. Well, I guess I don't know. I yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's. I think it still works. It's just, it's just in retrospect, I'm like, I think that may have been a misstep, mm-hmm. but it's a misstep that that you can gloss over, right? And I think in between this week and the next week, because you had to wait a whole week on this, I mm-hmm. sort of marinated in my head, and I was like, wait, Buffy died. She probably yeah. really is a slayer. Yeah. Like, I marinated that in my head and sort of like, but the first moment that it was happened, I was like, the fuck? Yeah. Like, it was a great reveal. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and this is also, I believe, one of the few times in Buffy that a two-parter was actually a week apart. Um, Yes, that is true. Because with, with Surprise and Innocence, they were a day apart. They did it Monday night, and then they did the the that's when they switched Buffy to Tuesday. Right, that was their big thing about Buffy switching nights, but so this, you actually had a week apart. Yeah, and Bargaining, they did as like a two-hour movie. And I believe even for the end of that season, when you got... No, there there was a week between um, Becoming Part 1 and Becoming Part 2. Oh, yeah, you're right. There was, because... we I finished finals and was unpacking my dorm and watched Becoming Part 1... 
but I did not get to watch Becoming Part 2 for three months because I was on the road driving back to Albuquerque from college and my parents didn't have cable. So it took me three months to be able to see Becoming Part 2 and it drove me the fuck Oh, yeah. And oh, uh, fuck, I forgot about graduation day as well. Because that same thing happened with graduation day. Yeah. Too, at least for people who True. Yeah. Well, you got to see it, but. I got to see it. I sent out that episode. Yeah, I know. I wish I'd known you then. But yeah, in terms of all time great reveals, this is a great reveal. This is a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when I saw it, because I saw it on FX, you know, so I didn't have to wait. I think it was either the same day or the next day because that was when they were doing it stripped. Yeah. I actually didn't know about the other Slayers yet because remember I was watching season six and, I, and we didn't get the other Slayers till season seven. So I was pretty surprised about that. Yeah. And I didn't know about Faith either. So I was like, what? Yeah. Because <laughs> in, in season six, Faith was kind of, she was in jail. She and, Yeah. Yeah, she she had to make the sh- she had to make the show switch first because she she was she ended up on Angel, so mm-hmm. she was on prison on Angel. Yeah, which is why so. they don't reference her. But yeah, no, I just it was such a great reveal, which we may not have gotten today. Like there may have been so many rumors, and it's not just oh yeah, they they were rumors then. Now it's called not spoilers; it's speculation. Right, mm-hmm. right, like they they give a picture of the person being cast. They like people just sit on Reddit talking about theories and like who it could be. So it may not have been as big of a reveal, but I know at the time I was stunned. I was yeah, and I love with that you'd have somebody who was like, "Well, we were on set, and somebody let me know that she's playing another Slayer." And da 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 da. So even yeah. if people didn't believe it, and it was a more innocent time. Well, yeah, there was less, like, ability to share this information. even if Right, because it, it like... the internet was there, but it wasn't the thing it is now. Right, yeah. exactly. And, I mean, even even through the sh- Buffy the show, uh, we will see the evolution of how spoilers and speculation change. Totally. Because, like for I said, sure. by, by seasons four and five, people were... And definitely by uh, seven. Oh, yeah, definitely. Se- like, seven I mean, was, we, like, half-spoiled. Blinked- Oh, we've linked the Spoiler Slayer before. Yeah, and we even, have. Like, even when we got to Graduation Day uh, Part 2, um, when Faith has that whole like dream sequence thing and she, like mm-hmm. count, uh, counting down from 730 or whatever it is. 720, I can't remember. The oh, people had theories people, and wrote about that People forever. were already suspecting that it, it was Buffy was going to die in at the end of Season 5. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that wasn't really a spoiler. That was people, like, people talking about Westworld and what was happening. That was more fun than the actual show. <laughs> As people's insane theories. Some of that turned out to be through. Some of that were just insane theories. So, okay. like, that, I think that was just, like, people really reasoning out the theory. But in other cases, yeah, there was total spoilers. Yeah, I but, think by the time so, I was watching it, I was reading Spoiler Slayer, like, pretty regularly. So I kind of knew what was going on. Or and speculation or whatever was happening in the future as well as trying to catch up on what had happened the previous five seasons. So yeah. I actually have a challenge to anyone out there who writes Buffy Fanfic or anybody out there who wants to write Buffy Fanfic, go to Spoiler Slayer and look up all of the false rumors. 
Oh, and go amazing. write a fanfic, write the fanfic based for that. on those false yeah. rumors because actually some of them are so ridiculously different than the actual mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, and I think they would actually be kind of cool stories. Yeah, that would be great. Great. I mean, I used to run or I still run a Harry Potter fanfic thing, and we had like right before the last book came out. I know we like gathered up all the fake spoilers and made up a bunch, and that was actually the prompt for the month that it was. It was like write a story based on this bit of information, true or not, and we got some great stuff. So it's always fun to kind of go like. What didn't happen? We're at the end of the episode. We've got the big yes. reveal. Can I say final thoughts this time? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Final thoughts? Um, yeah, um, I'm still wondering how people know where Angel lives. Yeah, but I, yeah. uh, other than that... Uh, <laughs> He's got a GPS chip in his head. <laughs> He's low I'm almost wondering if we should maybe keep the final thoughts till next week because... Someone, well, yeah. I... I yeah, I mean, I have I have some final thoughts about this particular episode. Being, and it's not a big final thought. It's more like this is very obviously part one of two. Yeah. Yes, oh. because a lot of it is set up, set up, set up, set up. Where we'll get the payoff later. So right. I and think it's like dun dun dun. What's going to happen next? Tune in right. tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Right. There are a lot what? of firsts in this episode, but yeah, it's definitely an episode meant to propel you to you know the second part of the full story. Yeah. Oh, and I, I did notice one other thing. It's a minor thing, but I don't know. It'll sort of come to fruition later. Uh, we, we get our first indication that Willow's parents are kind of detached and don't really notice Willow a whole lot because Willow falls asleep in the library all night, doesn't right. come home. And, oh, yeah. like, did they call the cops? Did they notice she wasn't home? We have no idea. There's no indication of anything. <laughs> I would like to know when the janitor comes in and cleans the library. <laughs> uh, it's possible something may have happened in the library that has scared him off. <laughs> I mean, it is what John Hawks, that's the, is that his name? He's an actor. He's an actor that's been nominated for an Academy mm-hmm. Award, and he ends up playing the janitor in the episode we'll see later in the season. Yeah. Is he, like, not cleaning? I don't know. Or maybe Giles pays him off not to, like, don't come in here. He's like, he puts the do not disturb sign on the door. Look, I'll pay you not to, like, clean this. You can just tell I don't everybody know. you did your work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I'll clean it myself. It's okay. I'm just that OCD. Bye. Yeah. Maybe the janitor is part of the Watcher's Council as well, and that's why all of the shit that happens at uh, Sunnydale High doesn't That's it. I, now I Ooh, want a fanfic I like from that. the perspective of the janitor. New head cannon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely an episode that brings... You know, it's the it's the first part of a story. Yeah. So we'll save the rest of it for next week. Okay. I believe that right. is it for this week. And obviously next week we'll be talking about What's My Line Part 2. So until then, grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. Hey, y'all. It's Andy. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. We would love to hear from you. And so if you have any comments or questions you'd like read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube, Tumblr, and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on our email, at return to the hellmouth at gmail.com. Again, we'd love to hear from you and read those comments and questions on the show. Don't forget to rate our show on iTunes and Stitcher. 
And we'll see you on Tuesday for What's My Line, Part 2. Grr, arg.